Um, so just a few announcements for, for you before we get into our message today. Uh, be praying for our, all of our missionaries. Of course, Don and Marie Jose Mann, uh, who are continuing to prepare the leadership content for the Quest Leadership Program, and they'll be taking that all around the world. So be praying for them. Continue to pray for Don's health. Uh, also for the Charbonneaux, uh, Michel and Louise, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I went on their Facebook page today and s- saw what they're building there. They continue to enlarge uh, that church building called La Forteresse. And they will have, you know, when, when everybody comes, it's about a thousand uh, kids and teens. And it is just amazing ministry that they do uh, over there in in Port-au-Prince. And uh, I'll put EJ on the screen as well. Be praying for him. You can learn all about him at ejtoupe.com. If we go to the PowerPoint slideshow and we share that show, then we should be able to do that. Yeah, just add it to the broadcast. Yes, they are in. Yeah, try and put them in there and see if they're there. Just back up a little bit. Oh, no, they didn't get in. Okay, that's weird. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, but anyway, you can catch up with him at ejtoupe.com. Okay, E-J-A-Y-T-U-P-E dot com. Okay, and uh, thank you for your giving online. You can do that through our website via PayPal and or e-transfer and or you can put something in the mail. January is always a tight month, but thank you for your faithfulness, your generosity. Okay, hopefully we get the slideshow working. I made some mistakes in preparing it, but we're talking about this series called when you pray. And this is taken from something that Jesus said when Jesus was teaching on prayer, the famous Lord's Prayer that we got into last week. And Jesus assumes that people pray. And he says, when you pray, pray this way. And he gets into the Lord's Prayer. And so that's an assumption that Jesus makes. And I hope that that assumption is true. But in my experience, most people, most Bible-believing Christians, most church-attending Christians struggle in the area of prayer. And so the motivation behind this series is to get you into a place where you are praying consistently and, in fact, daily. If there's one thing that you get out of this, if you turn a corner and start a new habit where you're praying in a meaningful sense every day, then that's going to transform uh, your life. So we're going to answer a question today that is very common and uh, very commonly asked. I would venture to say that every single person who is watching this or who will watch this or who will listen to this, uh, and again, remember to hit that share button, um, you have asked this question in many different formats. And the question is, why pray anyway? Why bother praying anyway? And it usually comes in two different sort of branches when people ask it. And one of them is, well, if God knows my need, and hopefully we can get those slides on the screen here. I see there. Are we okay? Can we? Okay. I don't know if they're if what the people are seeing, but why pray anyway? So if God knows my need and God is sovereign, then what is the point of prayer? So God can do what he wants anyway. 
God is sovereign anyway. His will gets done anyway. So why should I bother praying in the first place? Why do I need to be troubled with it if his will is going to happen anyway? What's the point of my prayer? Another way that people ask this question is, well, I've been praying for, you fill in the blanks, for X amount of time, days turned into months and months turned into years and years turned into decades, and nothing happened. I got a big zero, so maybe I'm insignificant to God. Maybe my prayer doesn't do anything. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe it's bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe God isn't there, but why bother praying anyway? And so I want to try and answer this question. Over the next few weeks, we're going to go through some prayers that are prayed in the book of Acts in the Bible's New Testament, and uh, that's going to be kind of our content for the next few weeks. And I'm going to try and answer this question from the first chapter of the book of Acts. Now, Acts is such an amazing book because you've got this snapshot of the beginning of the church. This is the closest thing that we have to us today in terms of, well, how did the church behave? How did the church live? Do we have anything in the Bible like that? How did the church pray? Do we have anything in the Bible like that? Well, fortunately, we have something in the book of Acts. And while it's, you know, 40 generations ago uh, in the in the Middle East, we can still observe, wow, how did these people live? How did they behave? How did they pray? How did they worship? How did they deal with life? And we can learn many different things from them. So from Acts chapter 1, I want to try and answer this question. And Luke is writing. And uh, we're just going to read a few verses until we get to verse 14. And he gives a kind of of an introduction. And he mentions a guy named Theophilus. And he says, in my former book, Theophilus. We don't really know who Theophilus was. uh, But Luke is writing here and he says, I began to, uh, or I wrote to you about Jesus and all that he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. After his suffering, verse 3, he showed himself to these men with many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, so like a month and a half after his resurrection and spoke about the kingdom of God on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. No other explanation, apparently. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to overthrow the Romans? Are you going to bring in your rule and your kingdom? Are you going to be that super Messiah that we're looking for? And Jesus replies, it is not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, the province, and in Samaria, the neighboring province, and all the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. He literally goes up into the sky and disappears. They're staring and looking at this. There's an angelic presence that comes and says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
the same Jesus who was taken back from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. <laughs> and so they go, they, they go on from there. They're on the Mount of Olives, and they return to the city of Jerusalem, which we're told is about a Sabbath day's walk. That's a shortened walk uh, back in that day, about a kilometer, actually, and they arrive back in Jerusalem. So verse 13. They go upstairs to the room where they were staying. Interesting, the, the, the word for this room is the same wor- uh, word for when Jesus was born and there was no room in the inn. This is the same word that's used here. So they go to the upper room, we sometimes call it, where they were staying, and Luke lists the people that were there. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, uh, otherwise known as the apostles. This is the same list that you'll see in the book of Luke when Jesus names the apostles, but we're missing one, and the one is Judas Iscariot who had betrayed Jesus. And here's a verse I want you to see. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Why? Why did they pray anyway? I mean, if God is sovereign, if Jesus is going to do what he wants, if the promise of this Holy Spirit, whatever that meant to them, was coming, why join together and pray, and why do it constantly? What was their motivation? I want to give you three little reasons here from uh, the book of Acts chapter 1. Number one, these people had a priority, obviously, about prayer. So, They had no plan B. This will come on your screen. They had no plan B, these people. If you survey their lives and you look at them in the in the Gospels, I mean, they had spent the better part of three years with the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus ends up being brutally executed. They don't understand what's happening. They all basically turn and run from him. They all basically deny him in the end. They've all failed. Jesus then rises from the dead. Jesus then teaches them for a month and a half, and Jesus then leaves again. I mean, they have no other plan B. They don't have all these other options. They're in a hostile context. Rome does not like this whole new movement about Jesus and what would be the formation ultimately of the early church. Rome is not favorable to this. Jesus caused a lot of trouble for the Romans. There was a segment of Judaism that strongly opposed the message of Jesus. And so this is not a friendly, hostile context. These people don't have a plan B. And so what are they going to do? They're going to do what they know to do, and that is to pray. And that is to pray again. That is to pray again. And that is to come together. This is a community context here where these people are deliberately joining together to pray and to call on God. 
I mean, they could have just said, well, we'll just sit here and wait. I mean, we'll just go back to our boats and we'll go back to fishing and go back to our lives and we'll just wait here for this promise, whatever it is. I mean, Jesus apparently gives no firm description as to what the this promise of the Holy Spirit would look like. Presumably, it's something powerful, something miraculous, something uh, supernatural, I'll use that word, but that's maybe all they know. They could have just waited, I suppose, but they made the decision to come together and to pray because really they didn't have any other options. And this is a problem that we have today in the 21st century, especially in the West. We've got plan B, C, D, E, F, all the way up to Z, and then some. We have so many different ways of going through life and of living life without God. We can, at least in our own minds, as a culture, function, live without even thinking about God, without even uh, wondering about God. We can operate as atheists. Even some Christians operate as functioning atheists, where God really isn't a part of our lives, except maybe as a little tack on the end of our week. Um, these people didn't have that. They did not have another option. They did not have another plan. For them, the priority was we need to be with God. We need to communicate with God. We need to be close to God. We need to be seeking God even as we wait for this promise because everything is kind of squeezing in on us and we don't have any other viable option at our disposal. I wonder today, is spending time with God really the priority of our day? In other words, when I say that, um, if you went, you know, several days, several weeks, several months without prayer, would you notice a difference in your life? Is it really a priority in your life every day to spend time with God. In other words, if I don't spend time with God today, then everything that I'm doing is just me doing it. Everything I'm saying is just me saying it. I have no sense of assurance of sort of the, the stamp of God, the presence of God, the working of God in my life if I don't spend time with God today. I'm not saying you have to pray in the morning. I'm not saying you have to pray at midday. I'm not saying you have to pray at night. There's no prescribed time of the day for prayer, but do you pray every day? Is it a priority for you? Are you of the mindset that if I don't pray, then I'm off balance? If I don't pray, then I'm off kilter. If I don't pray, then I don't really know what I'm doing, what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, or what I'm going to do. And I wonder, do we think that way anymore? Is it really a priority Maybe that needs to shift in our lives. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these other things, speaking of material things, will be added to you. He's talking about priority. And do we have that priority? God, I can't go today without spending some time with you.
Say, well, what does that mean, spending time with God? Well, it means you talk to God. It means you try to listen to God. It means you, you take the other things and you put them aside for a time, whatever that time is. You can start with a small amount of time, but you've got to start somewhere. You say, God, this is my time between me and you. And, you, and if you're looking for things to pray about, just look at last week's message and you'll see there's plenty to pray about. It's all modeled for us in the Lord's Prayer. These folks had a priority. That's one of the reasons why they were motivated to pray. Number two, they had a history. So they had a track record with Jesus. I mean, they spent the better part of three years with Jesus in a close, personal way. They built a track record. They understood the trustworthiness of Jesus. They understood the trustworthiness of God. They had a track record. And they knew, therefore, that when they prayed and when they called out to God, there was something meaningful about that. The, the hymns that we sung this morning, these people who wrote these hymns wrote down these things from a, a personal experience. And you can, you can Google around and see the history of some of these hymns. Uh, if you like, just listen to them again and find out, okay, what, what, did, what did this writer mean when he said, what a friend we have in Jesus? Where did that come from? What personal experience did that come from? There was a track record. Um, do you have a track record with God? I venture to say you would probably not be watching or listening to this if you didn't sense that there was a marked uh, record of God somehow in your life. There's an experience that you've had with God that you can recount, that you can think about. There's an awareness that you have about the reality of God. Even if you're an atheist watching this or maybe uh, listening to this, you're not doing so most likely Unless you wonder about these things and you survey your life and you're wondering and you, you perhaps have an open mind to the possibility that maybe there is a God who has a definite fingerprint left beyond, be, behind in the history of your life somewhere. There's a track record that God has in your life. Do you reflect on his track record? When you do, that's going to motivate you to pray. Now you say, well, but that doesn't really answer my question about God's sovereignty, though. If God is sovereign, why do I need to pray? That doesn't answer my question about me praying for something for years and years and years, and God doesn't answer. Like, what's the answer to that question? We're going to get there, but you've got to have a priority. You've got to have a history because those things are motivating factors for you calling out to God in meaningful prayer. And thirdly, you have to have hope when you pray. These folks, and we'll put it on the screen, believe that something miraculous was coming. Uh, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
they were expecting something. They had hope for something that they had not yet received. They knew the trustworthiness of the person who had promised them this. This was the Lord Jesus himself. He talked about this baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they had hope that this was actually going to happen. They probably had no clue what it was going to look like, save the fact that it was going to be something miraculous. Perhaps they reflected on the book of Joel and the coming of the Spirit in power. Peter would quote from Joel in Acts chapter 2, when the thing actually does happen and the experience happens, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Peter goes back to Joel. Maybe they were thinking about that. We don't know. But they believed, they hoped that something was going to happen. I wonder if hope in people's lives today in the 21st century is has been wiped out, has been somehow destroyed by the year 2020. I heard um, a statistic this week that that I'm still thinking about. Uh, The National Institute of Mental Health, I'm pretty sure this is in the U.S., but I don't think Canada would be far behind, has said that now the leading cause of death in children ages 10 to 14 is now suicide. The leading cause of death in children ages 10 to 14 is now suicide. This is a startling, stunning statistic and extremely disturbing. It implies that even our children are growing up without hope. There is a sense of hopelessness and despair in the air. And the year 2020 most certainly has added to that. We've got to have hope if we're going to come to God in prayer. These folks believed that something miraculous was coming. These folks had a history with Jesus, and these folks had a definite priority in coming together to pray. Now, do you, do I as a Christ follower today, or maybe there are some of you watching, listening, you don't know where you are with that, you're on the fence with that, you're agnostic, or you're atheist, or whatever, Uh, but do you today have a concept of God, that God can actually work today in your life, that God can actually work in a miraculous way in your life, in a supernatural, I'll use that word, way in your life and in the lives of others? Or is God somehow, has he somehow lost that ability? Has he, is, is he somehow, he can't anymore? Uh, have we lost that hope that God still can and that God still does? If we've lost that hope, then we're not going to pray for God to do something in our lives that's powerful and that's miraculous or in the lives of others. We're not going to pray that way because maybe we've lost that hope. Well, these people had the hope that God could do it, and they kept calling out for God to do so. I wonder if we do today 
or have we let the year 2020 kind of destroy hope? Well, I can tell you hope is not lost and hope is not destroyed. And I believe that God is waiting for people to call out to him to do something, to intervene, to do something powerful and miraculous in our lives and in the lives of others, that God is waiting for people to call out to him. Now, I want to be really clear on this, and I want you to hear me on this. I don't want to be misquoted on this, because when you talk about God acting in the world today in ways that only God can do, there's all kinds of controversy about this, but I want you to be really clear on what's being taught here. I do not teach uh, that it is God's uh, will that if you're a Christ follower, you know, you should never be sick, you should never suffer, you should never have problems, you should never experience poverty, you should never have any of these things. Those things are abnormal for a Christian. So, you know, if you're a Christian and you're suffering and you have sickness or you have financial issues or you've got trouble, trouble, trouble all the time and it's not going away, well, there's something wrong with you. You've got a faith problem, you've got a doubt problem, you've got a devil problem, there's something wrong with your pastor, there's something wrong with the person that's praying for you because that's not normal. You're supposed to be successful. You're supposed to be healthy. You're supposed to be everything terrific all of the time if you're a Christ follower. I do not teach this because the Bible does not teach this. And I know there's some of you and you're pushing back and you're saying, well, I have trouble with that. I thought the Christians were always supposed to have super terrific lives. Folks, if you read the scripture from cover to cover on this issue of God acting miraculously in the lives of people, and you read the Scripture and you really inspect the Scripture, you're going to see something startling. You're going to see kind of two things going on. Uh, There were people in the Scripture, incredibly godly people. Uh, I'm thinking in the Old Testament of a man who, if you look at the at the bandwidth, the variety, the quantity of the miraculous power, uh, the way this man seemed to wield the miraculous power of God, he seems to be second to only one other person in the entire Bible, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. And that man, his name was Elisha, that man became ill, that man suffered because of his illness, And that illness took his life. It is a stunning reality portrayed for us in the scripture. I have rarely heard it, if at all, preached on. But that's reality. And we see that reality reflected in the scripture. If we read the whole thing and not just a few verses here and there, we can see that scripture shows this reality. On the other hand, scripture also shows that God acts. God acts miraculously. God acts powerfully. God heals in the lives of people. And God still does this. I do not teach that the power of God somehow died out with the apostles, and God never does anything miraculous in the world today, because the Bible does not teach this. God acts today in the affairs of humanity, in the affairs of individuals, and he acts miraculously. 
Does it happen all the time? Every time you pray for something powerful and something miraculous to happen, does it happen every time that you pray for it? No. And I'd like to meet you if you say it does, because there's many hospitals in the area here that need to be emptied out because of your prayers. Obviously, when we pray for these things to happen every single time, they're not going to happen every time. But do we have hope to pray for them? Do we still have hope to believe that God can do that today? And that's what he's looking for, because ultimately the answer to the question, why pray anyway, if God is sovereign and he does what he wants, and I prayed for this thing for years into days, into months, into decades, and so on and so on, and God still didn't do anything, then why should I pray? Ultimately, the answer is that even though God doesn't need to, God uses the prayers of people to accomplish his will. Even though he doesn't need to, book of Acts chapter 17, Paul says, as if he needed anything, God doesn't need us or he wouldn't be God. But even though he doesn't need us, the mystery of prayer is that he uses our prayers to accomplish his will. He uses our prayers to do things in people's lives. He'll even use the prayer of an atheist. When an atheist calls out to God in sincerity, God can use that prayer. The same way that he can use the prayer of the ardent follower of Jesus because God delights in responding to people's prayers. And when we have hope to believe that God can still intervene and God can still act and God can still heal today and God can still do the miraculous today and we pray for those things to happen, guess what? We're going to see those things happen. Are we going to see them every single time? Well, no. But are we going to see them? Well, yes. The question is, who's going to do that? Who's going to believe and have hope that God can if we pray? You say, well, do you mean to say that God is somehow handcuffed? And if I'm not praying, God can't? No, God can, but God delights in using you in using you who think that your prayer is so insignificant, God delights in using you. Why does he do that? Because you're in a relationship with him. Because when you see that your prayers actually do something, it grows you. It makes you understand that you are in a relationship with God. It changes your character. As you learn to pray and you learn to pray the will of God, it begins to change your character, changes your behavior, changes your thoughts, it changes your actions. Prayer changes you. You don't change God by prayer. You change you by prayer. And he delights in using you to accomplish his will. I have uh, studied the subject of the miraculous and divine healing in particular for several years uh, from the scripture because for several years I did mostly visitation. And I visited people in hospitals and seniors' homes and their homes. I visited sick people. I visited all kinds of people, hundreds, perhaps into thousands uh, of people I visited and prayed for and so on. So I studied this at great length from the Scripture to try and figure out what does the Scripture really teach about this, not what I'm taught that it's teaching, but what does it really teach 
uh, for itself. And I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of a lot of fake healings. I've seen a lot of leg pulling healings. Uh, there's even an expression, you're pulling my leg. Well, that comes from a carnival trick where you make it look like you're making someone's leg grow. I've seen those kinds of fake healings. I've seen all kinds of things, but I've seen some real ones. And I'm telling you, when you see the miraculous power of God at work in someone's life, it changes you, it alters you, and it makes you begin to grow and say, God can even use my prayers to touch other people's lives. But if I don't pray, and if I don't believe, and if I don't have a history, and if I don't have a priority, well, what am I really going to expect from God? There is a a movie that I would encourage you to watch. We screened it in our church a couple of years ago. It's very thought-provoking and uh, uh, maybe for some very troublesome. Uh, But it is a movie that's based on a true story, and I like true stories of healings. I like it when atheist doctors corroborate them and, and start using the word miracles. I like that. Uh, when they do that. So I'm not talking about some fake healing. I'm talking about a real healing that really took place. And uh, the name of the movie is called Breakthrough. And it's about a a teenage boy um, who, by his own admission, and you can hear him tell the story today, by his own admission, was not a Christian at the time, was not serving the Lord at the time. And this boy, uh, uh, teenage boy, fell through the ice on a winter's day and drowned. And um, the, the story, long story short, is that this boy was, was pronounced dead, and he was dead for about an hour. And uh, at the, in the hospital, his, his uh, mother, he was adopted, his mother comes into the hospital room and um, sees the condition of everything. And she, she, they're told, you know, he's gone, and you could say your final goodbyes. And uh, she goes into the room, and she sort of belts out a very, very simple prayer. There's nothing magic behind the words. I've heard this kind of prayer prayed uh, dozens, if not hundreds of times. I probably prayed it myself dozens of times. And she prays this prayer over her son very quickly. And immediately, the moment that she prays this prayer, this boy's vital signs start to light up. Nobody uh, to this day knows why. Uh, there's nobody in history that anybody can find who studied this event that happened in this boy's life that has found any precedence for anybody who drowned and uh, was pronounced dead uh, and was dead for an hour uh, being somehow resuscitated and coming back to life. No one's ever seen it. This is, uh, this is uh, the most bizarre individual case that people who study this type of thing have ever seen. Uh, and this boy, his his life signs came back, his vitals came back, and he left the hospital on his own volition some two weeks later, no damage to anything in his body, no brain damage, no organ damage, nothing. Nobody knows why. People who, from all over the spectrum, use the word miracle when they describe this. It's a very thought-provoking movie to watch because the question arises, why him and not somebody else? I can't answer that question. I, I think only God can answer that question. However, what you get from the movie is the question, what would have happened if this woman never prayed? What would have happened if this woman just said, well, it's over? 
And and I've been in many uh, uh, situations like that where it was over. But this woman had the courage, the hope, the track record, the priority, the history, everything we've talked about here from Acts chapter 1. She belts out this prayer, and God moves in response to her prayer. You say, well, that's a coincidence. I mean, if she hadn't have prayed, the same thing would have happened. It's just timing. She walked into the room and he came back to life. It has nothing to do with her prayer. My friend, you can live with that if you want to, but I think that that's a bit untenable. If you have someone who's dead for an hour and then at the exact same time that his mother walks into the room, uh, he, he just decides or something decides to make him get up. Uh, I think that the idea of a coincidence would be a lot less tenable than the idea that God responded and acted in accordance with prayer. Because that's what God does. He delights in using our prayers. Why doesn't it happen every single time in every single situation? Again, this is a question that I cannot answer the side of the sec- this side of the second coming. But should we continue to pray and believe God? Absolutely. There are people on the other side of this camera. I'm thinking of you right now. And I pray for you and I pray for God to do something powerful and miraculous and divine by the power of the Spirit in your life and in your very body. I pray for that to happen for you regularly and you know who you are some of you and i pray for you because that's our job our job is to pray god do something in this situation god i have hope to believe what you said god i have a track record and a history with you and god my priority is prayer I wonder if maybe that's the only thing for you uh, today where you say, that's, that's what I'm getting out of this message, that prayer needs to be a priority in my life, that I've got to be of the mindset that if I don't pray today, I don't know if I'm saying the right thing. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I don't know if I'm thinking the right thing. That's got to be the priority of my life. Maybe there are some of you and you have prayed and prayed and prayed for that thing to happen. And you've prayed for days and the days turned into months and the months turned into decades and into years and you've given up hope on that prayer. Why? God can still act. God can still do. Will you have hope for tomorrow? Don't let your circumstance kill your hope. Don't let 2020 kill your hope. Don't let a pandemic kill your hope because we need hope if we're going to pray and going to call out to God. So I'm going to give you a little bit of homework today before I close uh, our message in prayer. Did this last week and um, got a really cool story to tell you about it. Pick a day this week to fast and fasting means essentially that you don't eat for a period of time just to make it simple pick a day where you fast and you fast at least at least one meal if you did one meal last week try two meals if you think you can fast for a whole day try the whole day but during that day during that time take time to pray take time 
to seek God. Again, you don't know what to pray for? Listen to my message last week. You'll get plenty of ammunition to pray for, to pray about. And thirdly, memorize a verse of Scripture. So fast. During that fasting time, pray. During that fasting and praying time, memorize a verse of Scripture. Here's a good one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, you, in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That affects you and me, too. We're all the ends of the earth. You memorize that scripture, for example. So really neat story as we finish up today. There was a lady in our church who attended our Alpha course in the fall and into uh, December and uh, began uh, to, to get into a process where she's reading the Bible and trying to grow in God and trying to pray and so on. And she contacted me this week and said, well, I'm going to fast. So what do I do? I said the same thing. I said, well, you, while you fast, you need to pray and you need to memorize a verse of Scripture. So she, she memorized a verse of Scripture from uh, the message last week, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. Uh, when you are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape so that you can uh, stand, under, stand up under it. I think it's that, that I'm doing it from memory as well. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. I said, well, that's great. So this lady messages me uh, this morning and says, you'll never believe what happened. I was doing my devotions, and she does devotions using the Bible app from uh, Version, which I like to talk about, and she said the scripture verse for the devotional was, guess what? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. See, that's the Spirit of God at work in our lives, and He uses the scripture, and He uses our desire to seek Him, and he leads us, and he grows us. So I challenge you to do that. Fast, pray, memorize. Uh, tonight at 7, there is a uh, national prayer gathering of our whole fellowship across the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. That's like 1,200 churches. Uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada serves 250,000 people across Canada. So there's a national prayer gathering tonight that's online that you can join in. Uh, just go to paoc.org. If we could put that on the screen for me and put that slide on. Uh, so go to paoc.org, and at the top of the page, you're going to see a link uh, to that prayer gathering that you can join in tonight at 7 p.m. And even if you tune in and tune out, it just gives you a feel for people gathering together to pray, even online. Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for each person watching, joining, each person who will listen, maybe watch a recording. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to grow in our life of prayer with you, Lord, that we would get to a place where priority, history, and hope would motivate us to call on you like never before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Look forward to being with you again next week as we talk more on this subject when you pray. Until then, God bless you, everyone.